what is really good about it is it makes me feel like the people who do follow me there, they really, they really do value what I think and they do want to engage. So it, it feels like, you know, Patreon's giving me what I wanted, which is to use uh, social media, to use the internet, to generate actual meaningful exchanges, you know, to be a place where something approximating real intimacy can occur. Hi, and welcome back to The Plot, a podcast on writing and how our words and stories are shaping the world today. I'm Sean Douglas, I'm an arts journalist and podcaster, and this marks the final episode of season one. So whether you're tuning in for the first time today or have been listening from the start, thanks for helping to make The Plot a success. The show isn't going anywhere and will be back again next year, but 10 episodes felt like a good round number for the first batch. And so as we enter the home stretch. Today I am joined by playwright Christopher Shin for a conversation on how writers can use Patreon. Shin has a long list of plays and accomplishments, including a Pulitzer nomination, an Obie Award, and a Guggenheim Fellowship, and some of his plays include Dying City, Where Do We Live, Now or Later, Teddy Ferrara, Against, and an adaptation of Hedda Gabler that appeared on Broadway in 2009. While Shin used to be on Twitter, he became frustrated with the platform and has since begun posting his personal reflections on Patreon the subscription-based crowdfunding site. I was curious how this experiment was going. There are, of course, other blogging subscription services out there, like Substack, and I don't normally think of Patreon as a blogging platform, but could this be the answer to an issue many writers have? The desire to put their writing online, but in a way that can still be monetized, away from the free wild west of social media? I was also curious about his thoughts on social media more generally. Shin has written about how he feels these platforms are drawing us into a less loving and intimate society, and while I feel social media has both benefits and harms, I do wonder too how it is affecting our personal relationships and our national discourse. Why is it these sites that, on one hand, offer such a convenient way for us to keep in touch with one another and access information, are also yet incapable of fulfilling our most seemingly basic expectations, like suppressing toxic and hateful speech? or protecting users' data? And what impact does this constant interconnectivity have on our attention spans, mental health, and capacity for introspection? While we don't reach any clear conclusions, I think the questions Shin raises here are essential for anyone who uses social media, and I hope they will inspire you to think critically about your own online habits. So with that said, here is Christopher Shin on Patreon and building a better online and offline community. Well, hi, Chris. Thanks for being on the plot today. I thought we could talk about Patreon and some of your new adventures there, if that works for you. Yeah. So I noticed that you used to be on Twitter, but you've since moved your writing to Patreon. And I was just wondering how that was going. Yeah, you know, I I started a Patreon, I guess, in in July uh, of this year. And it was really born out of... uh, frustration, and that might be too mild a word, with Twitter. Uh, really just a feeling that, that Twitter was really bad, ultimately, that it was making me miserable and manic, and that 
it wasn't clear to me, although I used Twitter to try to express complex ideas and, you know, got a, you know, a a lot of good engagement with the stuff I was writing. It was never really clear to me if it was really doing anything, you know, it's very easy to, to hit a like or, you know, hit a retweet. And I just started to feel like the reason, I mean, you know, there's some self-promotion, obviously, anytime you have a public social media account, you're trying to remind people you're out there and let people know what you're doing. But, you know, really, I use Twitter to try to introduce complex ideas into the culture. Um, and I thought to myself, if it's not really doing anything, if people aren't really taking in what I'm trying to express and the site itself really just makes me miserable and I just feel, uh, manipulated by it and, you know, sucked into it and, and always stumbling on tweets that are exhibitionistic and superficial or violent or, you know, basically it's a site that's always trying to force you into looking at more than you'd like to look at. Um, I thought, okay, well, what's something else I could do? Is there a way to, to get my thoughts out there that doesn't rely on a public uh, social media site? So Patreon seemed like a promising uh, possibility uh, for the reason that you really have to seek it out. It's not like, you know, a, a site that has feeds that aggregate lots of people in the way that Twitter is. You know, if you really want to know what I think, you'd have to go to my Patreon, sign up for it, and, you know, make a point of, of following uh, the things that, that I'm saying, writing. Um, and that just seemed like the, the sort of best solution, I guess, you know, the only other real thing you can do to get your ideas out there is you go through established, uh, sites and in my, I mean, I've done, you know, quite a bit of that. Uh, there's two reasons that that's not really, uh, appealing. One is that, uh, it takes so much time to pitch places. You're pitching editors, you're waiting to hear, you know, if you have an idea, uh, that, that feels immediate that you want to get out right away, it's just incredibly frustrating because it can take you, you know, a while to find a place that wants the idea. And then once you get an idea accepted, uh, the editing process takes a long time. And then often there's a long delay before publication. Uh, I just did an interview with Jeremy O'Harris uh, that I think is going to run on November 1st in the Los Angeles Review of Books. And I, I think I pitched it on June 17th. Just to give you an example of yeah, yeah. how long these things take. So I thought, yeah, I don't want to, every time I have something to say, try to find some kind of outlet for it. So Patreon lets you publish on your own schedule right away. There's no editor. There's just you and your direct relationship with the people who've signed up uh, mm-hmm. for the Patreon. The other thing I liked about it was that uh, it's, you have to pay for it. And I don't like that because I'm making any real money uh, from it. What I liked about it was it really creates an investment. 
I mean, even just at a, I mean, my Patreon is only $2 a month, which I think is uh, among the lowest I've seen anybody do. Um, you know, it's not something I'm doing for money. It's something I'm doing to create a sense of investment, just really a symbolic investment that, you know, you've signed up to have exclusive access to this site and you should participate in it. You know, that it's, it's, that's something you, you've chosen to do. You're not just passively experiencing it. And, you know, related to that, in that idea of exclusivity that really appealed to me is that I think there's something about when you're publishing things that are public, that anybody can see, it just feels to me in our era where so much is uh, about branding and so much is about uh, being controversial and, and trying to gain attention in a uh, a culture in which it's incredibly hard to uh, get people's attention and to maintain it over time. Um, I thought that the the fact that these posts are private, that you need to sign up to to read them, really meant that I couldn't be accused of just being exhibitionistic. You know, if I have a controversial opinion to share or something very revealing about myself, I'm not putting it out to the whole world. Not, not everybody can see it. Only people who, you know, who have signed up for the Patreon can see it. So it, it also felt to me like it might enable a, a deeper honesty where I wouldn't be worried that, oh, people will think I'm just being exhibitionistic or provocative or controversial. You know, the, 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 you know this isn't just for the whole world. This is for you know, people who are actually interested in, in what I think. Mm -hmm. I thought that was interesting how you were using Patreon less as a really kind of active crowdfunding exercise and more just using it to create value for what you were writing. And that seemed to me like probably a better use of that tool, um, at least for this kind of genre of work. Because I know that a lot of people go into Patreon thinking it's going to be like Kickstarter or something. And it just money works just so differently with it. And it doesn't tend to generate as much um, and even really established people can have trouble kind of getting a foothold on Patreon. So I thought that was interesting that that you were saying, I'm going to use the money instead, just as a way to create a barrier for people's interest, to make sure that I'm only getting people that really want to engage and be like really invested in what you are doing. And I, yeah, I think that's worked so far. And, you know, and it's okay. kind of like, it's humbling for me because I can see how many people actually want to seek out what I think. And, you know, I think it actually confirms uh, my suspicions, which is that, you know, even when I was tweeting things, you know, would get a lot of likes and a lot of retweets. I, I just wasn't sure. I just thought, you know, I barely followed anybody on Twitter and I was overwhelmed by my feed. And, and I would see people, you know, following five times as many people, 10 times as many people as I followed. And I would just think, what, what are they looking at? You know, it, what, what is, what even gets through if you're scrolling through these feeds endlessly and there's just this nonstop stream of content and sensation. Mm -hmm. So, you know, of course, I think my hope was, no, the things I'm writing there really are reaching people. And when I move over to Patreon, a ton of people are going to follow me. I mean, I wasn't delusional, but mm -hmm. I think I thought like, you yeah, know, maybe... 10% uh, of my Twitter uh, followers. Uh, and, you know, that was probably the optimistic 
uh, part of me that thought maybe 10% would, would follow me over there, uh, which would have been something like 300, you know, 300 odd people uh, at the Patreon. And I think right now I have 67 people. Um, so, you know, not a lot of people. And uh, that, you know, on the one hand, it made me depressed, like, oh, gee, like, most people don't actually want to seek out what I am thinking about and what I feel. But what is really good about it is it makes me feel like the people who do follow me there, they really, they really do value what I think and they do want to engage. So it, it feels like, you know, Patreon's giving me what I wanted, which is to use uh, social media, to use the internet, to generate actual meaningful exchanges, you know, to be a place where something approximating real intimacy can occur. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Facebook is so much about friends and Twitter is kind of about strangers. So it seems like you've kind of self-engineered sort of your own social media platform in a way that kind of combines some of the best of both of those. And I'm curious just how in your own life now, um, given this approach that you've taken to Twitter, how do you curate information like elsewhere? Just um, what your information diet is like, how you use the internet, um, how you seek out things to maybe read or or consume otherwise um, with that same kind of mindset that you've taken to Twitter. I mean, it's a really good question. I think it's a really a, a work in progress for me. Um, I haven't figured out the best way to do it yet. Uh, I still peek at some Twitter accounts that, I like, uh, I don't, you know, I, I'm not on Twitter, but I will put in a Twitter account on my browser and see what somebody's saying. If, it, if it's somebody I think, oh, what, you know, what does this person think about this current event? So I do, I do miss the, uh, you know, the people who, who use the platform well, and there is a lot of good stuff on there. And it certainly makes me feel like there must be uh, some uh, audience for, uh, uh, a kind of uh, a, a Twitter-like service that you could control much more. And maybe there isn't. Maybe Twitter is the way it is because to make money, all that crap needs to be there and they need to addict you to it and, and uh, you know, try to make it consume your life. But, you know, it seems to me, I mean, if there was a Twitter option that let me follow, you know, 25 people that I really value and didn't show me anything else, I would still be on Twitter, you know. Uh, again, maybe there, there, that doesn't exist because it could never make any money. Um, and uh, and so, yeah, I haven't really found the way. I mean, you know, there's newspapers I more or less trust. There's, you know, some journalists and thinkers that I find interesting that I make sure to check what they're tweeting about. Um, you know, there's some journals online that I look at. Uh, and I will, you know, bookmark articles that I want to read, but there's no, there's no one place to do all that. So Mm -hmm. it is still a lot of browsing and, you know, uh, a lot of time on the internet, uh, you know, generating whatever it is that I want to read for the day. So, yeah, I think it's, you know, it's still a work in progress for me to figure out how I can try to make the internet work for me, uh, in a way that, you know, doesn't take over my life. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, in a lot of your writing on Patreon, um, more recently at least, there's this sort of there's a sense of the tragic in society, and dealing with a sense of fallenness, um, maybe a loss of intimacy. How do you think we can start getting that back again? Or what is what is maybe your hope for for what a a less fallen, uh, maybe more loving culture might look like? You know, I think that is the question, mm-hmm. and. You know, I really don't know. It does seem to me pretty clear that social media, whatever is good about it, alongside that is just stuff that's really bad. And the bad stuff is really powerful. And it's probably linked to how these sites make money. So the bad stuff's probably not going anywhere. I mean, right now, I would say that what I like about the Patreon is that you know, people who do want intimacy, who do want to take part in a meaningful dialogue. And, you know, a lot of great conversations are sparked that happen privately by people who, you know, who subscribe to the Patreon. Um, you know, that those intimacies are developing. And, you know, there's a few people that I don't know that I've never met in real life that I feel like are, are becoming, you know, genuine friends. And I, and I feel like real meaningful relationships are going to grow. Uh, from the Patreon. But, you know, in that, that broader cultural question, I, I, you know, I don't really have much optimism. And, you know, it's something I want to speak about, or write about more frankly on the Patreon, I think. Um, because, I, you know, I do think our society is changing because of technology. I mean, it seems, it's like one of these things that we all know. We all know that this, <laughs> these phones and computers and the internet have you know totally changed our lives we also know that there's so much about these technologies and, and the internet that we don't like but it also feels to most of us at least that there's nothing to be done about it there's there's it's a kind of a the, the time for debate and, and decision making was like 10 or 15 years ago and, and now it's just too late like all this stuff developed and we didn't have a real discussion about it. We didn't have a real debate and now it's too late to, to really change the, the direction of things. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, it's still, it makes me very sad. It makes me very anxious and I'm writing about it cause I'm concerned about it. And, you know, I need to express my grief about it. So it's not like I've just given up all hope and just like, yeah, it's sort of just what it is and what are you going to do? Let's just accept it and move on. Um, so, you know, I have, I guess there, there must be a little hope in me that we can find ways to, to use technology and the internet, uh, more meaningfully, mm-hmm. but that's very abstract and vague. Like if you ask me specifics, I'm like, well, I don't really know. I mean, I, I, mm-hmm. it seems like for something to happen, there needs to be a market. So until a, a market is perceived by someone uh, that they can, you know, exploit to make money, then I think it's just going to be the way it is. Everything's going to be be the way it is now. But, you know, who knows? Maybe there's some world in which people start leaving these sites and, and, and demand a different kind of social media and somebody can figure out a way to, to make that work financially. But it doesn't look like that is going to happen right now. Mm-hmm. Do you feel like some of the, the values that you have trouble with on social media, maybe the, the loss of intimacy or an, or a sense of 
um, a lack of love or trust between people. Do you find that spilling over into your real life? Do you feel like since the rise of, of social media that you've seen um, similar problems happening in person? Or is it a problem that's more relegated online, but you're not really noticing changes in your real life interactions between people? I, I do notice changes. It's always hard to determine exactly uh, you know, what the anecdotal things that I perceive, you know, what they reveal about a culture more broadly. Um, so, you know, I'm changing and maybe, you know, I'm perceiving things differently just because I'm changing and growing. Um, but, you know, I saw a statistic today that the suicide rate for young people has jumped like 56% between 2007 and 2017. Um, you know, that suggests that something's going wrong. I mean, that's really the, that's the decade. I mean, that's sort of the Facebook decade, you might say. Um, you know, it's the, the initial years of, of Facebook blooming into this world of, you know, social media ubiquity with Twitter and Instagram. Again, it, it may sound reductive to say, oh, it's just technology, but, you know, it, we're talking about something that used to take up, you know, an hour or two of people's lives. And I try to like, remember how long I was online in 2006 or seven, you know, probably a couple hours, you know, and now people are on their phones eight, nine, 10 hours a day. I mean, Mm -hmm. that's, this is an extraordinary societal shift. And, you know, it's going to have ramifications in the social level, the individual level, yeah, I mean, I think I I see more spectacle in the theater. Uh, that's a kind of theater-specific example, just in how things are staged. Um, with uh, the younger people I know, they're just as smart as they ever were, but there is less uh, attention span than there was. So I, I do think attention spans are getting shorter. Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I, I think there is a, a way in which people are more distracted and, you know, they're just as deep, they're just as smart, they're just as talented, but I think there's a kind of mania that is just reflected everywhere. Uh, we communicate in short bursts and, uh, we are, you know, our, our minds are darting around the internet all day and, so, you know, it, it may be that, you know, you don't even need to put a value judgment and say that's bad. It's just a, a change. You know, I don't like the change because it makes me feel crazy. It makes me feel things are not solid, that they're, they're empty. They're, they're moving too fast. They're shifting. They're changing. Um, and, but, you know, it, it could just be that this is like one of those things where somebody like me who grew up before technology was so dominant, you know, that we, people like me, have a choice. We either just kind of go along with how society's changing or we say, I'm getting too old and this is not for me. Um, and, you know, maybe this will just become the new normal for somebody who's, you know, 15 or 20 today and that, that would just be their world. I don't know. But, yeah, I don't, I don't like it. I don't think it's good. I think, uh, you know, something like that suicide rate statistic, I've certainly anecdotally, again, noticed people using drugs more in the last few years. Um, 
for not just using drugs more, but being functional drug addicts, I would say. But somehow the technology is uh, softening the negative uh, aspects of heavy drug use and drug abuse. Um, and the I was saying to a friend that, you know, I, I feel like 15 years ago, if you went out drinking and you, know, you woke up really hungover and miserable and depressed, you, know, you really had to sit with your thoughts and feelings. And now, you know, if you go out and have a wild night, you wake up anxious and depressed, you, know, you, you grab your phone, you're instantly communicating with 10 friends. And I think it can feel much more normal and it can feel kind of the instant validation that these devices deliver us into uh, can put band-aids on a lot of psychological problems. So, so I, I think that, you know, it used to be that loneliness, isolation could be a real spur to self-scrutiny and, and facing uh, problems and, and difficulties in one's life. And now, I, you know, I do think these devices make it much easier to just sort of put band-aids on, on that stuff. And, you know, you can feel like everything's okay because, you know, six of your 10 friends texted you back right away and you start that chain of, uh, you know, all day texting interaction that, you know, superficially at least makes you feel connected to people. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it doesn't allow a lot of space for introspection. Um, and I don't know that it necessarily has to, but it also shouldn't be working against that. And I don't know that we've found the right way to, to have interconnectivity um, in a way that still reinforces the value of, of space for yourself and introspection. Yeah, and again, you know, you don't even need to put a value judgment yeah. on it. It's just a fact to say that, well, if there's less intimacy and if there's less introspection because of our devices, the world's going to change. Yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. And, um, you know, detailing how it's going to, going to change, how it is changing. You know, I think it's important, you know, that we, we notice it and, and try to articulate what we see happening. Mm -hmm. um, because, you know, we, we obviously didn't do that in these last 10 years, at least not to the extent that I think we should have, because then we might have been able to have some more robust debates about, uh, these devices and, and these social media sites than we did have, you know. So, you know, I, I think it is, uh, it's important, you know, to do it in a way that, you know, it doesn't have to be judgmental and, and punitive and, and condemnatory, but just to be, you know, to really be alert and alive to how our society is changing uh, right before our eyes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think they hold tremendous potential. Um, they're definitely things that I get a lot out of. Well, also constantly wondering if they're bad for me, in what ways am I getting addicted to them? Um, in what ways am I also wasting my time with them? Um, so hopefully there is a better future for whatever the future of social media looks like. But I think we're definitely in the midst of whatever that Wild West experimental phase still very much is. Yeah, ab mm -hmm. absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think we probably are, we've probably come to the end of the first phase of it. And, uh, you know, there are certain things that, you know, unless we have some kind of totalitarian government in the future, which isn't impossible, uh, you know, there are certain things that will just always be. But I do think there are going to be some huge questions, decisions to make uh, 
uh, you know, in the decade ahead, particularly as we become more and more integrated uh, with technology. And, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have a, a more robust cultural debate uh, when those decisions are on the line than, uh, than we've had in the last 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you for this conversation today. Um, I also don't want to force a happy ending on the conversation. I think it's it's fine if we leave it in a state of unknowing and and potential tragedy. Um, yeah, but also, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but also, is there anything you want to plug or promote or any final words before you go? Uh, I guess I could promote. Uh, I did this adaptation uh, of a tremendous play, a uh, German play from 1937 called Judgment Day. Uh, we're doing it at the Park Avenue Armory starting in December. And I think it's a very special play that uh, uh, most people don't know. And, uh, yeah, if you're in New York, uh, check it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and people should find you on Patreon and follow you. If they want, want to hear more conversations like this, that's a place that they can go. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you, Chris. You have a good yeah, rest of your you, day. Sean. Yeah, you too. That was Christopher Shin on his experiences with Patreon and social media. For more about his past and upcoming work, you can visit ChristopherShin.co or read his additional writing and social commentary at Patreon.com. His adaptation of Judgment Day runs at Park Avenue Armory from December 5th to January 11th. The plot is a production from me, Sean Douglas, and the credits theme music is by Tan Chong Yu. If you liked this show, Please subscribe on iTunes, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. If you know anyone else you think might like this show, please also consider recommending it to them, or sharing it online, where more people can discover it. You can follow me on Twitter, at underscore Sean Douglas underscore, and this show, at The Plot Podcast. Thank you again to Christopher Shin, and to all the guests I've had this season— From discussions on press freedom, to playwrights going undercover for Marvel, to how to make peach resin pudding with a recently crowned Food Network star, we've had a lot of outstanding conversations with writers this season. And I also want to thank Lauren McCrimmon for co-producing quite a few of these episodes with me and playing a key role behind the scenes. This will mark the end of season one, but don't worry, we'll be back again soon. And in the meantime, I invite you to catch up on any episodes you might have missed along the way, or look into some of the many many novels, plays, TV shows, and old Irish epics that have been recommended on past episodes. Until then, this has been The Plot, and thanks, as always, for listening.